This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello and welcome to Culture Check, the Dark Knight, a Tailgate Society podcast. Please check the tailgatesociety.com and subscribe to Tailgate Society Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Arnold Woods, and I'm joined, as always, by Emily Cornell. Emily, what's going on? You know, living the dream. It, just watching, uh, reliving my childhood, re-watching Batman the Animated Series. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm doing the same, actually. We've been talking a little bit this week about it, and um, specifically more today, but uh, going through, I was telling you about how I watched some of these episodes and was just kind of remembering the lines before they happened and just remembering sitting and watching these episodes when I was a kid. So this was a, this was a fun week of prep, I guess, or a day or two days of prep. Uh, oh, I yeah. want to say it. So, um, we don't have to do a long intro to this one because this is just, we, this is going to be a little bit different than the movie pods. Um, I don't think we need a spoiler alert for these, right? These are kind of like, I don't know. These have been kind of out in the consciousness for a long time. And if you want to. Yeah. Since the nineties, like the, yeah. they were out since before I was born. Like <laughs> I'm just, if you haven't seen it by now, I don't know what to say to you, bud. You had almost 30 years. Exactly. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to bother with, with the spoiler right here. The statute of limitations is, has passed on that. Yeah. But we're, oh, yeah. we're going to be, we're going to be talking about Batman, the animated series, which uh, ran on Fox from, 1992 to 1995 and it really sort of kicked off the entire dc animated universe Mm -hmm. um, that was continued in justice league and justice justice league unlimited and then they made a bunch of movies i think that they actually made a movie like they stopped making the movies in this continuity like a few years ago but then maybe in like 2018 there was a new movie that came out but yeah it all started with this and it's a really critically lauded cartoon. And for a lot of people, I think of, of our generation, this is their, um, this is what they think of when they think of Batman. Um, they think of their childhood and they think of uh, this cartoon series. Um, and I think, well, I think now people mostly think of like the movies, but like maybe this is like the second thing that they think about. Or if you would ask them in like 2004 before the, before, um, before Batman Begins came out, they, they might have thought about this. Um, and it's just a just really incredible, in-depth storytelling methods. And it's a pretty straightforward Batman story, right? Like we have, I think you watched the first episode and the first episode isn't like, it's not an origin story. Like he's already Batman, right? Yeah. In that episode. Yeah. So it's a pretty, you know, just... Batman is established in his career and he's fighting crime in Gotham and it's the style of it. We'll get into a little bit later and, and the storytelling choices they make, we'll get into it later, but it's just, it's a phenomenal show. And I thought it was worth, uh, or we both thought it was uh, worthy of 
um, discussing on the podcast. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of the episodes that we we watched. But looking at the the episodes that that we looked at this week, um, Emily, like what kind of stuck out to you? Like what were your thoughts about just um, as a whole? looking at the you know five or six episodes that we looked at um i think that they were all just like very diverse um it was a good like across the board it was just different stories within um like batman the animated series um it wasn't like it was just you know, the beginning of the first season where it's just kind of like establishing, like, obviously everyone kind of knows who Batman is, but like, um, just telling those stories, like they were different stories of different, um, villains. And so it was really fun to do that. And then also like watching them and thinking about how parts of these different episodes have been adapted to the movies and, like kind of seeing like, oh yeah, there's that inspiration or like, this is where this for sure came from. And I like forgot about it. Um, but, you know, having just wa- rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy and then watching these episodes, like even outside of the episodes that we like are going to talk about, there were times that I was watching the show and I was like, oh man, like that's very, very much like the movie. What I did notice, something I found funny from the show. So, like, Jim Gordon is, like, jacked in (laughs) Batman the Animated Series. And, like, in the Dark Knight trilogy, like, not even a little bit. um, Because Gary Oldman is just, like, an average-sized person. Um, But, like, on Batman the Animated Series, it's, like, everyone is, like, the same size as Bruce Wayne. And I'm, like, hmm it doesn't seem like it translated into um, the movies in terms of like, they, like he looks Christian Bale, like when you're watching Batman begins and he's like training and like, he's becoming Batman. So obviously he has to be like bigger um, in the animated series. It's just like, Nope, it's just accepted that like every single person is the same size as Batman. And like, of course, Batman can like outmuscle them though. And I'm like, ah, okay cartoons that's funny it is i i didn't think about that but i'm i'm picturing it now in my head and yeah first like batman bruce wayne is like <laughs> he's drawn to be like six four like 220 or whatever yeah. like really like broad shoulders and everything like that and jim gordon is like that except like with a with gray hair and a gray mustache yeah and like a few <laughs> a few lines but yeah he's definitely he's also like really buff it's weird what did you think i'm glad that you pointed this out because i i guess we can talk about this part first we can talk a, a little bit more about the parallels between the cartoon and and the dark knight series that, that we've been discussing for the first few weeks um for me the i i remember i remember watching batman begins and the like for the first time like not for the not for the purposes of this podcast, but I remember yeah. years ago, um, 16, 17 years old, and I watched Batman Begins for the first time. And I'm seeing, you know, people are talking to Batman and then they turn their head and then they turn back and he's gone. And I'm like, that's from the series. That's from the that's from the cartoon yeah. show. Like that's, you know, so things like that immediately like jumped out to me. And um, you know, Christopher Nolan clearly took a lot of influence. Yeah from from the animated series i guess what 
my question, one of my first questions, I guess, since you brought up Jim Gordon, like, what did you, what did you draw out as some of the parallels between his, um, between the the relationship between Batman and Jim Gordon in the comics or in the uh, in this in the animated series versus the movies? Did you see some similarities? Did you see some some differences? Like, what did you see from that? Um, I mean, I saw that like Jim Gordon is just as trusting hesitant trust towards Batman um, in the animated series and in the movies. Um, I think by the dark Knight rises, like Jim Gordon completely trusts Batman. Um, So like, those are some similarities, but also in like the um, like level headedness where like Jim Gordon's like, no, we're not going to just like do this. Like, hold on. Um, I feel like that, kind of translated into the movie um it's a little bit different in terms of like i feel like the relationship with the other like detectives is different um in the animated series i feel like there's the one who's just like ready to go and is like let's go get batman and like that happens like briefly from people in the movie but it's not as much because like he has people in his department that are bought off um, and I don't feel like there's much of, and that maybe it's just like the episodes I watched, but I don't feel like the, the mob influences as much in it, in the animated series as it was in like Batman Begins and the Dark Knight. Yeah, I could see that too. I, I think that the relationship between Batman and the police in general is just, is, there's a stark difference. I think that in, in the movies, there is, um, I guess, even specifically in um, The Dark Knight. So by this time, like you said, like Batman and Jim Gordon have like established this trust in this relationship. And now they're trying to decide, um, like we, we discussed in, in the Dark Knight episode, like they're trying to maybe bring Harvey Dent into the fold. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying to figure out, they're kind of trying to parse that relationship and what it is and how they can um interact with each other and and use each other's resources and in the beginning of the dark knight movie after the tra- after, after the uh, bank robbery and batman comes into the bank with jim gordon and he kind of you know shoots the officers off and they kind of have a one-on-one conversation about you know using the marked bills and that's how they they've been tracking the stolen money or whatever i think in the in the in the movies it's the relationship is very much centered the Batman police relationship is very much centered on Batman and Jim Gordon yeah. versus the cartoon that we just saw. And in a show and in an episode like the laughing fish, which we'll get into a little bit later, there's more of a, it's, it's more collaborative between Batman and the police in general. Yeah, There's more of a, an involvement with, you know, Jim Gordon is still the liaison quote unquote between Batman and the police, but they Batman and the police, like, and has this plan together to catch the Joker in that episode. And that's not something that would really happen in the movies. I feel like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it was just interesting to see. That's a, I'm glad you pointed that out because I wasn't thinking about how that was working yet. Like how in the show, they are way more collaborative, um, but like, yeah, I guess in the movies, he's only working with Jim Gordon and 
is very secretive, even with Jim Gordon. There's still like the, um, I think also like the kind of the specter of of Batman as this larger than life figure. I think that's also in the comics. There's a in another, I think in the Heart of Ice episode, which I I literally just watched. There's a, a scene towards the end of that episode where Batman kind of is in the shadows and like leaps out at uh, Mr. Freeze's henchman. And like one of the henchmen is like, Oh, it's the Batman, you know, and like says it in a way where it's like, Oh, it's this like kind of almost like mythological um, type. Yeah. Figure that he, that he's become to like criminals. So I, I also thought about that when I watched um, the movies for the first time too. So I just feel like they pulled a lot from, um, pulled a lot from the comic book. Yeah. Or from the from the animated series, sorry. Yeah, I I I feel like in terms of both like the the elements and like the scenes and what's going on they pulled from the animated series, but also um the like tone of the film. Like it's similar to that of the animated series. Like it's a I wouldn't say it's like a dark cartoon, but it has that like ominous feel that the movies have. I agree. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's, it's played straight, I guess. It's not really that campy. And there's like, there's kind of camp, there's campy lines, you know, there's kind of corny lines in the, in the cartoon, but overall it's very straightforward. It's very, if a lot of the episodes that we watched, um, that we selected to watch for this podcast, you know, most of it mostly takes place at night. Um, really dark, really um, like physically dark, like um, yeah. a lot of, you know, tall skyscrapers set against the moon and, and that type of thing, which, which was certainly, um, certainly the case in the first two movies of the trilogy, if not the third one. Um, and just kind of the animation style I wanted to talk about a little bit was just interesting because it's kind of this, if you, I, if you look it up, it's called the animators of the series called it like dark deco. Oh, I like where that. It's, so it's like this, you know, it's like art deco influence, but like, you know, set against this. Um, it's like a retro futuristic type, you know, the cars look like they're from the fifties. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, Batman is working with this, with supercomputers and like, it's the most modern technology that you can have. It, it reminds me of the Incredibles a little bit. If you, yeah, if you've seen the Incredibles, it's like kind of the aesthetic is like kind of sixties, but it's also like the technology is super modern and you know, Elastigirl has the most um, technologically advanced motorcycle that's ever been made. So it's, it's kind of like that. And it's it it adds to like the the like the noir elements of it. Mm-hmm. And Batman is also like a, a detective, and they're wearing these like long overcoats and things like that. So it's like the '40s, but it's also um, super modern, which is a, which is different than the movies that we've been discussing. Because again, like Christopher Nolan was really hammering home, like what if Batman lived in the real world today from 2005 to to 2012 or whatever? So yeah. And it it's interesting that you pointed out how, like, it's not really campy. Like, the animated series isn't really campy um, because, like, older Batman 
shows they're a little cheesy like people like them and they're fun to watch but like um it's different it's different um and that like for the dark night like for i don't feel like there's any time you sit and watch any of those movies and you're like this is campy or this is like cheesy that someone would say any like even with i feel like the dark night and um the joker like there's opportunity to like really like have those lines happen and like have it fit and like he didn't even touch it like christopher nolan was very like we're gonna keep this serious and like i think that's um very comparable to this tv show i agree i agree for sure do you want to start maybe talking a little bit about some of the episodes yeah let's get into the laughing fish so um what did you think of like just when you rewatched this episode like what were you where were you at with it i was thinking about why it's my favorite episode the laughing fish is my favorite episode of the series and it's it's very random it's a one-off episode it has nothing to do with any i mean there's not a lot of serialized elements to the animated series but this is like one of the most random and it's a really tight story and um but i love it's my favorite episode and i'm not sure why i think that there's i i can try to describe why i guess but um if you if you look at the the episodes from the series that are like more critically lauded, like a, an episode like Heart of Ice, which yeah. we'll we'll talk about a little later. Um, there are themes in, the, in Heart of Ice that are very like heavy in terms of like relationships and regret and, you know, revenge and things like that. And that's the Laughing Fish is really light, um, really breezy. Mm-hmm. But one of the I think one of the main reasons I like it the most is, is it's a great Joker episode. Yeah. And I want to, I guess I can, this can be our segue to talk about the Joker because we talked about the Joker a lot in the Dark Knight, but the animated series Joker is my favorite like interpretation of the Joker. And I think that it's because of an episode like The Laughing Fish. And we, you know, the Joker is voiced by Mark Hamill, um, famously uh, Luke Skywalker. but yeah, it's like those, that's his two iconic roles is Luke Skywalker and then the Joker on this uh, in, in Batman, the animated series. And the reason I like the Joker in the, in the in the cartoon is because he is multifaceted and you see all of the multi like all the different sides of him in this episode. Like he's menacing. He is unhinged. Mm-hmm. He's like goofy and just silly and like nonsensical. Like his plan in this episode is... Um, he like poisons some of the fish. He poisons the fish in Gotham with the intent to like to or to make the fish like look like him, basically like look at look like his clown face. And his plan is to just sell these fish to to Gotham and to get a copyright to do it. And the guy that he goes to the patent office to do it is like, you can't patent fish. Like that doesn't make any sense. And he turns it into like a personal vendetta against this guy. And like the plot is just really nonsensical. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a a really, it's a complete contrast to Keith Ledger in the dark Knight, Yeah. Who had these like 
you know, he had these schemes that he was trying to do and he's trying to like, it's this epic, like, I'm going to bring down the best of the best to make him psychotic or whatever. Like the Joker's not trying to do that in this episode. He's just like a really weird loony guy who is chaotic, but is also like just goofy. And like one minute you're just like, this guy is really weird. And like, he, he kind of oscillates between being like a weirdo and then also like really threatening at the same time. And like, that's why I like this episode so much, but that's what I was kind of thinking of as I was watching the episode. What, what were your thoughts watching it? Um, I was thinking about how it, like to your point of how it shows like the Joker just kind of going between all these different like moods and like the way he's behaving. Um, so like, he's like laughing through really awful things. So like when he is like putting people into the shark tank, and he's just like, I'm like, that's just like, who just has a shark tank? It's like he picks something where he's like, this seems like a really like awful thing, but it's very almost whimsical. Like, why have something practical to torture people when I could just be like very extravagant? Um, and he also, and like in other episodes, like you can see this, but like this episode when like the shark tank breaks and his like the chair he's sitting on like goes up and like his henchmen and Harley Quinn like fall into the water. The Joker's like, ah, sucks to suck and just like leaves. And I'm like, ah, it's not just that he has like a pretty twisted mind in terms of like how he wants to like torture people and do whatever, but like he just does not care about the people around him. Um, despite what he might say he just like his behavior indicates that he's just like in it for himself and for his own like entertainment purposes yeah he's kind of like bond villainy in this episode with like the the elaborate like the shark tank and i'm gonna like lower uh the bullock the detective like i'm just gonna tie him to a fishing pole and like lower him into this shark tank and this is like really over the top and nonsense going it's like why are you even doing this um, but yeah, I think that the, the villainous side comes out in that way. And then also like what you said, where he just like, doesn't give a shit about his instrument. Um, and people like Harley Quinn, which will, will save that conversation for a little, a little later, but, um, yeah, the people who were closest to him, who are helping him execute his plans, like he'll, he'll leave them in a, in a drop of a hat. He doesn't really treat them very well. And you're kind of stuck wondering why these people are choosing to follow this guy's lead a little bit. Um, yeah. Another thing that I, that I really like about, about the episode is um, I think it goes back to what you said earlier about tone. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, like the tone of it is very, it's this nonsensical plot, but the tone is very straightforward. Yes. The, the interactions with like Batman and Jim Gordon, where it's like, okay, this is what the Joker is trying to do. And it's, it's also from a Batman perspective in the episode, it's very, it's, it's a classical, like him using the, his resources to like be a detective to figure out, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to take samples of the fish. I'm going to analyze it at my, in the Batcave, cave. And then I'm going to tell Gordon what I found. And then we're going to, um, 
based on those results, are going to enact this plan in order to catch the Joker. And, you know, there's the um, the identity swap in the in the mid part where, mm-hmm. you know, they the guy that is that the Joker's after, they go to his house and he's dressed like Batman and Batman's dressed like him and, you know, all that type of stuff. Like it's there's just so many like classical elements of the of the series that are um that kind of play out in this one episode, which is another reason I like it a lot. I agree. I, th- I think it, it for sure. It just is has it has all of the Batman-y stuff in it in one episode, and with like the focus really being the Joker. Um, like I don't feel like anything that Batman does really stands out from that episode, but like the Joker was like the star of that episode. He was. I agree. He's. I, it's. I just. I love that Joker. I love that interpretation of him. And Very good. Yeah, I love his laugh too. His laugh is this. It's such like a maniacal, like weird, unnerving laugh. And there's like that's kind of a big thing with that character. And you know, Heath Ledger did his version of it. Um, but yeah, I just love that. Love that one. Um, what what else? What what? What other episodes did you, did you want to talk about? Or did, did you have any more thoughts on the Laughing Fish? Or like, what other episodes did you want to talk about? Um, no other major thoughts on the Laughing Fish. Like, I think um, you definitely nailed it when with all of like the different pieces of it. Um, but so, like talking about like Harley Quinn. So in the Laughing Fish, the Joker just leaves Harley Quinn, and this happens like so frequently um so then there's an episode harley and ivy where she just leaves um like he fires her and she's like are you serious and he's like no like get out um so she leaves and she's sad but she's like i'll just go steal something so she goes to steal like this diamond but like the um like the museum she's in like the alarm goes off because poison ivy is there stealing these plant chemicals and they decide to become friends and like hang out and um this was an episode I like vaguely remembered watching when I was from when I was a kid but I didn't probably because I didn't pay attention to anything and that's just that's who I am um but like how Poison Ivy is very like she's very much a feminist um and she's strong feminist vibes from her yeah yeah and she's just like you don't need the joker and harley quinn is like mooning over him and she's like oh my god like get over it he fired you and you're better off and he's like abusive (laughs) and harley quinn's like but it's okay um so like watching that now is like very different from just watching it as a kid where it's just like oh like harley quinn goes with the joker like she's one of his like henchmen so like of course she goes back to the Joker. Now it's like, no, like she probably shouldn't like, he's terrible. Not that like any of them are good guys. Like they're all the villains, but um, she's better off just like staying with poison Ivy. Have you seen, um, have you seen suicide squad? I haven't. I heard it was terrible. (laughs) It wasn't great, (laughs) but I I asked because of margot robbie's interpretation of harley quinn did you see the the harley quinn movie that came out earlier this year was that last year it was this year and it's on my beginning of this year feels like 10 years ago so that's true (laughs) 
this year has been so long. Um, it's on my list of movies to watch um, because I have heard good things about Birds of Prey. Um, and Margot Robbie, I think, is a really good actress. Like, I don't think there's any movie I've seen with her in it that I'm like, mm, that was mediocre. Wouldn't watch again. Like, she is very good. And I feel like she would have that energy playing Harley Quinn that's just like, intense and like fun like i feel like the joker and harley quinn are like very fun villains where like you know what they're doing is just terrible but like there's something playful about it that's just like oh like they're being over the top and it's super silly but like it's also bad like people are in danger um so i i feel like margot robbie playing that would be very entertaining her interpretation of Harley Quinn, I think, is um, is really good, and it's 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 more than just her like using, um, like she uses like the Long Island accent that she does in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, basically, it's kind of like the same one that she does for Harley Quinn, um, who sounds like that, obviously. But I think that like the just the energy that she brings to the role is very um it makes sense for what that character would be like as an actual person and um, and birds of praise is very much she breaks up with like the the that plot hinges on her breaking up with the joker basically and striking out on her own and poison ivy isn't in that movie but it's 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 the same type of energy where she's you know um she makes a clean break from the Joker and she's just going to do, she's going to do her own thing. And the difference between that movie and that episode is that in the episode, she's kind of still like drawn back to the Joker, mm-hmm. but that's not what it's like, like in the movie, in the movie, it's very much like people are keep asking her, like, aren't you with the Joker or weren't you dating the Joker? And she's like trying to break herself mm-hmm. from that. Um, except in one case where she's like, trying to make a guy think that she's still dating the Joker so she can get access to something. But, um, but yeah, she's, she's not, um, she's not still hung up on the Joker in the movie in the way that she is in the, um, in this episode in the Harley and Ivy episode. But that episode was so interesting to me. I agree 100% about your poison Ivy take where she's just like, the Joker sucks and you're a lot better off without him. And he's like, you're, she's trying to break her from a, an abusive relationship basically. Yeah. And um from a broader context, that episode and then like from the broader like the entire series, I think in another episode that we'll talk about, uh the Cat and the Claw episode, it's just like the gender politics of the yeah. of the series. Like I just don't that's not the, something that I was really paying attention to a lot as a child, as you mm-hmm. said. And so right. watching them again now, I'm like, damn, like they they made a, a point to um, they made a point to put the gender politics like right in front and center. Yeah. And it's not a mistake that these two women villains are striking out on their own and they're, it's, it's very explicit. There's not a lot of subtlety about it, um, but it's effective at the same time. Did you kind of get that sense too? Yeah. I feel like it wasn't like they tried to bury it and like lead you to the point they're making with it. Like, they very much point it out. They have the character saying it in a very clear way. Um, 
that I'm like, well, that's very interesting for the early nineties. I agree. It's, um, yeah, I, I was conscious of that too. Right. Where it's this, you know, 1993 cartoon children's episode and it's, you know, the, the message is basically, um, women don't need men's validation. Yeah. And I just, I thought that was really cool. And, um, I think that that's something that kids have to, uh, like after rewatching it, like kind of like we're doing when you get a little bit older and, you know, you're kind of hooked on the shows. And then when you get older, you watch them again for nostalgia purposes. And then you go back and look and see like, Oh wow, here's kind of where the messaging um, was coming in. Yeah. Because it's easy to like write off different shows that kids watch just like, Oh yeah. It's just like entertaining. Like it's this 22 minute show and everything's wrapped up. I love that. It's so short. My goodness. I'm like, Oh, we've made it to the end so quickly. And I know what happened um, in every episode, but I'm like, yeah, this is ideal for kids. And like, even if they don't necessarily understand like why they're pointing out like any gender thing or like why they're like, no, you don't need this person. And they don't maybe say it how we would say it now, where we'd be like, don't be with that guy. He is bad. Um, he, it is a toxic relationship. Like, while it's not necessarily those words, it's still giving, like showing kids the tools. Um, like I think plenty of shows probably are doing that same thing or have done that where they like have the tool or they're providing the tools for kids to like use the language to be like, this is not great or this is really good um, when talking to like friends or not really family. I don't feel like that's like a huge thing where it's like, this is how you talk to your parents unless it's like Sesame street, but um, just engaging in those conversations. Yeah. You kind of put in the messaging in the package where it's like superheroes, right? Like, yeah. you know, you watch Batman and you want the toys and everything like that, but you know, you got to kind of spoon feed the medicine in with, um, in with the, with the lasagna, if you will. That was a yes. horrible, meta- horrible metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think that's like exactly it. Like that is, I'm sure if we rewatched a bunch of the shows we watched as kids, it would be like spoon fed, like be a good person <laughs> or like any other thing where it's like, don't be in a toxic relationship, but here's what happens. Like you do get in the trap of like going back to that person. Like the show is not depicting anything that's fake. Like people are in relationships where they repeatedly go back. Um, So uh, yeah, yeah, I think, and to have it in 22 minutes of just like, here's real life, but like we've dressed it up into something that someone between the ages of five and 10 will be entertained by. I think at the core, like that's why this series is so lauded. I think that's why the series is so like critically acclaimed is because of the themes like this, because of these, you know, feminist themes, these, um, you know, there's stuff about um, not to get too deep into it, but there's like some capitalist stuff in there. There's like environmental stuff that we'll talk about in in the, the cat and the claw episode. But it's these, you know, it's it's a kid's show, but there aren't any kids in these episodes, right? Like mm-hmm. these are adults leading adult lives, dealing with adult problems. And, um, you know, there's action sequences and 
and it's you know car chases and will batman catch the bad guy or whatever but um you know at at the at the heart of the episodes are really kind of mature themes that are handled in a um in an exciting and in a in a fun way so yeah i i agree with that and i think um how you hit on like in the cat and the claw but also in like heart of ice how that episode hits on like a very relatable but serious theme of just like kind of depression leading and like um being sad and like uh mourning and like grief like there it hits on that but like i don't know if every seven-year-old who's watching is like ah yes this is how this character is feeling and that's why they want revenge like i don't know if they necessarily see it like that but like going back to it they might be like oh like i understand the motives here um but maybe that's just a wild goose chase of an assumption (laughs) no i think you're i think you're spot on with that i think a, a kid watching an episode like heart of ice um is going to be like look at the cool ice gun yeah basically and not realize like so the the plot of heart of ice it's a mr freeze episode i think it's the first mr freeze episode Mm -hmm. of the series and it's victor freeze who was a former employee at a place called goth corp which i thought was interesting it's like i was thinking it's it's like i live in des moines it's like des moines corporation like like if there's a a company here called that i don't know that was funny to me it would be very odd, but like a yeah. lot of the things are very oddly named in these shows. Yeah, <laughs> there's some stuff in here where it's just like uh, it's like we were, you know, it was late. We needed a name for this thing, so we just came up with this. Um, but yeah, so Victor Freeze is uh, works for this corporation, and he is, you know, his wife is sick, and he's trying to work on this like cryogenic freezing technology, and. Um, the CEO of the corporation or whatever, like kind of interrupts his research and is trying to get him to shut it down because he thinks it's like costing him too much money, I think, or whatever that was. And, mm-hmm. you know, Victor Freeze is like, well, I can't shut it down now because my wife, you know, life depends on this. And there's like a big fight and it ends up, um, he ends up kind of merging with the cryogenic stuff and his wife dies, I think it's implied. Yeah. Even though I'm pretty sure later on in the series, she's still, excuse me, she's still like alive somehow, cryogenically frozen. So I'm not sure how that works. But he um, he comes back to get revenge on the, the CEO of Goth Corp. And, you know, his his plot hinges on his, you know, wanting revenge on this guy. And then also... Um, his encounter with Batman is basically he tells him to stay out of it in the beginning of the episode, but Batman is like, you know, you're breaking in these buildings or whatever. I have to like stop you. And so Batman becomes his enemy just because he's not, um, he won't get out of his way, I guess. And so, yeah, like the, the themes of the episode are, um, it's, it's really heavy, kind of like, you know, the, pain of losing a loved one and then mixed with the pain of not being able to save them mm-hmm. and um and then also this kind of like there's a little bit of like anti-corporatist stuff in there where the guy 
the CEO year, years later is getting like a humanitarian award, but you know, he's doing all this shady shit in the background. So mm-hmm. it's just a really, really deep episode. I think like before you, before we started, you kind of texted me like this one was kind of heavy. So what were your, what were your thoughts on that? That was, that was kind of it where I like, I watched it and I was like, this isn't the same as the other episodes. Like, you know, we talked about the laughing fish and how like the Joker kind of does stuff that's just like bad and like super villainy, like super bond villainy even, but like, it's not like there's no purpose behind it other than he's like unhappy about the fish thing. Um, But like, it's just, it's a very like silly episode. Um, And then like Harley and Ivy really just kind of focuses on like them being very independent and being able to do whatever they want. Um, a heart of ice is like, you understand why Dr. Freeze is like unhappy and why he like wants revenge. Not that it's right that he's seeking revenge or even how he's doing it, but like, you don't feel like as a villain, it's like, you can empathize and, um, that was just like something I didn't really expect in this kid show. I'm just like, Oh, like that's good that they're kind of giving a story of like why he would be this unhappy. And like, even when the episode ends, like he's not really like in Arkham, like super angry. He's just very sad. Um, And so I felt like, Oh, like this is definitely different from other episodes where the feeling like there isn't like a sad feeling. It's just like a, a relief, like, Oh, Batman got the the villain and it's all taken care of. And you're just like, all right, he saved the day. And that's what he did. But like um, with heart of ice, it's like, well, yeah, he got Dr. Freeze, but he's still like, Dr. Freeze is still so, so sad. I think that uh, just thinking about what you're saying, that last shot of him in Arkham, Mm-hmm. And he's kind of reflecting on what happened and kind of talking to his wife in a sense. And he's, you know, he's very sad, like you're saying, and the snow is falling in there. It's like implied that they're keeping him in like a a really cold room so that mm-hmm. he can survive. Because it says early in the episode that he needs like sub-zero temperatures to, to survive. And that's another thing that he's, you know, heart of ice. It's kind of, it's like this literal thing where he can't like experience heat anymore. And the effect that that has on him psychologically and emotionally. But that last shot, he's in Arkham and then it cuts to Batman, who's like watching over him. And I think that that kind of adds to the emotiveness of it or the emotion of it is just like, you know, Batman feels for him too. Like Batman had to put him in in Arkham, but he's still, um, Batman is still emotionally invested and what happens to Mr. Freeze and what happened to his wife and, and um, why he is the way that he is. And, you know, I think that that last shot is kind of to let the audience know that like, if Batman could do something to help him, he would, yeah, you know, or like that type of thing. So it's, um, and that's in a lot of the episodes of the series. I found like there's, there's a lot of times where you're, you're made to empathize with, with the, the quote unquote villain of the episode. And this was a really good example of that. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, 
it's a very and when I was like reading different articles like this is an episode that a lot of people like reference just because it's like a very serious theme for the episode but like it's presented in a very digestible way it is and I think that that goes back to what you're talking about in terms of like you know the episodes are 22 minutes long Mm-hmm. it's not serialized right like this wasn't the, the next episode we'll talk about is it was split in two parts but this wasn't like a two or three or four part episode um it's a very you know succinct story mm-hmm. but it's 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 really effective emotionally at the same time and this this series had the ability to do that um and i think that that's also um something that the justice league animated series did well too um that batman was later a part of um storytelling in justice league and justice league unlimited to me it's like they it's like they did this but like took it to like the next level like it's this the storytelling is just like really really good and it's done in a way so like i mentioned suicide squad earlier um and we're a little bit off track here but like um there's an episode of justice league unlimited called task force x and task force x that episode is basically the same plot as the movie suicide squad or it's it's not the same plot but it, it involves a lot of the same characters and um it it involves the suicide squad basically the, the members who make up the suicide squad and they're they go on a mission and in the task force X episode, they go on a mission to steal something from the justice league, basically like the justice league offices or however you want to say it. And that episode is like 22 or 24 minutes long or whatever, but it's a better, more, um, it's a better told a more coherent story than the two plus hours of suicide, suicide squad, the movie. And it's just, it's to see, you know, a feature length film not be able to tell a story as effectively as a 22 minute TV, cartoon TV episode. I think like it just shows you how good the storytelling was yeah. on Justice League and it's in on Justice League Unlimited. And it's the same, same with the animated series, which is why I think it's so loved. Yeah, I think you're right. Um about why people just they like that they can get the story and i mean i've not seen suicide squad so i can't speak on it i probably won't see it because i heard it wasn't great (laughs) and you would think that with two hour like a two-hour movie to me if you're making it based off of any like comic book or cartoon um and it's a superhero like that is a gimme like you should be able to create a two-hour masterpiece you can develop a storyline like just pick from one of the many of like a cartoon episode like you just pick one of those and like flesh it out and boom you have a movie that like the audience one likes to look at because it's probably very visually captivating but also they care about the story they're watching but that seems like that might be too much if they couldn't manage that for Suicide Squad this is a different conversation for a different podcast (laughs) but I just feel like a lot of the issues with these comic book movies that are like the ones that are bad are just, it's, they don't, the stories don't make sense and the stories aren't well told and they're just like not good stories. 
And when people get a good story, when they respond to uh, the people respond to a good coherent story. Yes. More so than they respond to car explosions or aliens or robots or whatever. Like I swear, like people, people want a good story and they want, they want the other things too, but they want that to like complement or enhance the story. And when that doesn't happen, then it's usually, you know, the movie bombs. So, um, do you want to talk about the cat in the claw? Yeah. Um, this was, so the cat in the claw is a two part episode earlier, two episodes, um, that are, like go together and it's about like Catwoman and um Red Claw. Is it the Red Claw? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and they basically have they're competing to get like this plot of land and like there's a whole thing that's going on with them. And then there's like Batman coming into it also. There's a lot happening in these like in the like storyline but like in the end batman and catwoman end up like working together um mostly because they like need to it's kind of like in the dark knight rises where like they didn't like super want to work together but they kind of are forced to because like they have a common enemy and red claw is like ready to kill people um and so batman's like well you can't be doing that um and the environmental piece is really what like catwoman that's where her interest is in this is she is the you know the means just or the end justifies the means in terms of like having this like land for large cats um which I thought of Tiger King for like a moment of that. (laughs) And I was like, no, like, damn, (laughs) I need like a cleanse from that because Tiger King was so problematic. Um, This cartoon was not, this was, this was fine. Um, But it was like an interesting, it was interesting for Bruce Wayne as a character because he's like trying to figure it out, but like, he kind of is just like bumbling around in Batman the animated series like in general like Bruce Wayne is just I don't know I don't think people think he's like incompetent but they're just like they're he's overlooked like he's just this billionaire kid that they're like all right well thank you for your time Mr. Wayne like it's no one's taking him seriously and like when he talks to Selena Kyle like she's really not interested in him um and her being like very wealthy in the animated series as opposed to in the movie where she is like also operating where like the end justifies the means um but it's like more it was it's a lot of her like own self-interest and like she's just trying to get out of trouble um so like that was something that I was just like oh that's like an interesting turn that they took her in the dark knight rises yeah, that's the reason I think that I wanted us to to talk about this episode because we're just now coming off of the Dark Knight Rises podcast and the the Bruce Selena Batman Cat uh, Catwoman like dynamic. So in this episode, it's I mean I guess in in the episode and in the Dark Knight Rises, it's like we're introduced to Catwoman for the first time, or Batman is introduced to Catwoman for the first time, and I think in the in the in the cartoon episode that we watched 
the attraction is more immediate there, the attraction to the two of them versus I think we talked about did we kind of talk about the the chemistry between between Batman and Catwoman in the, in the last pod and how it was kind of like I think we mentioned that right how yeah where it's just like a, a not like a last minute thought but like he's obviously pursuing um Miranda and Catwoman is just trying to like get get out of Gotham yeah. like she's just trying to get out so like there isn't really an opportunity for them for a while to like have like serious interest in each other like they're intrigued by each other but not like interested in any other way i think yeah i agree and in this one you know there's like the attraction is immediate to each other yeah and they meet also it's different because in in the Dark Knight Returns, they meet as Bruce and Selina before they meet as Batman and Catwoman. Yes. Uh, versus the cartoon where they meet as Batman and Catwoman first. Um, but yeah, like there's an immediate attraction and, you know, it's, the, the, again, the storytelling choices, right? Where Selina, like she bids on the, it's the auction thing, which the money goes to charity, but it's like, win a date with a bachelor or whatever, bid on, bid on a date with, with Bruce Wayne. And she, you know, outbids everyone else by tenfold. And it's like, you know, I'm not interested in a date with you. I just want to donate the money to the wildlife foundation. Yeah. And Bruce kind of insists on the date because, you know, again, like you said, like he's kind of bumbling around, he's kind of like aloof and he's kind of like, um, he's not the smartest man in the room, you know? Yeah, And I, I think in the, it's weird because like in the movies, I think that that's more of an act. It's more presented as an act um, for Bruce Wayne to be kind of bumbling around in public and, you know, the playboy persona yes. versus in this, it just seems like he's kind of like, <laughs> if he's out of the cape, then he's just kind of an idiot. It's kind of weird. Yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he, you know, the, the storytelling choices where she's, you know, she wins the date with Bruce or whatever, and Bruce like insists on the date, and she's telling Maven, her assistant, you know, how much she loves Batman, and she's about to open the door, and she's like, "I wish it was Batman behind this door," and she opens it, and it's Bruce. So it's just like those kind of like little subtle things that are, you know, just subtle storytelling choices, but they work and they're yes. effective. Yes, like it. It shows that they like she's paying attention to Batman more than she's paying attention to Bruce and like it ended up helping them in the end when they are trying to escape and they blow everything up and that virus. Oh, the virus. That's another part of the episode that I just was like, Oh look, they're, they're threatening to release a virus that will kill people. I thought the exact same thing. (laughs) Exact same thing. Timely shit. Yep. Well, I feel like we just keep watching lots of timely things and I'm like, my God, that that's it. Like the other episodes I feel like are pretty evergreen. And like even that episode's evergreen. Like I can't be like, oh, well, it's only now. But like that piece of that episode, I was like, wow, that hits home a little harder these days. Um, and then she's also like an international terrorist. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And then they get like the gender politics where it's like Red Claw's a woman. Like, oh, my gosh. And then even when he sees, so the first time he sees Catwoman and she's like, you know, robbing this rich lady and he's like, our new 
cat burglar is a woman. So like just the gender politics of it all are like definitely like right on frustrate. Yes. Yeah. And that one, I think I watched the cat in the claw before I watched Harley and Ivy. Um, and so I was like, Oh, they're just like calling out like, cause like bright claw says something and she's like, Oh, I bet you didn't think I was a woman. And Batman's like, uh, either way, like you're a criminal. <laughs> um, but I'm like, that's an interesting thing to just point out because like, I feel like if a superhero show is made right now, and this probably speaks to how I've not watched any except for like Watchmen right now, but like they, I don't feel like anyone would ever be like, Oh, I bet you didn't think that this criminal was this like gender. Like that's not even, that wouldn't even be pointed out. Yeah, and it's just kind of, like you said, like, this is a show from the early 90s, right? And we're yeah. just, we're, you know, it's 2020, we're doing this this pod now, and um, we can kind of see, we're in an era now where we're, you know, like, being pushed for more um, queer superheroes. Yeah. And, you know, um, as far as gender, yeah, like, it wouldn't even be acknowledged. We were talking about the show. Um, before we started the pod, we were talking about Legends of Tomorrow. And mm-hmm. Legends of Tomorrow, the main superhero on that show is is a woman, um, uh, White Canary. So uh, it's, you know, it's it's an interesting, like, kind of time capsule to see what they were trying to do. And they're, you know, they're trying to, like, be progressive, right, yeah. in that moment. But, like, we're kind of at the point now where... Um, I mean, we still need, you know, progressivism, but just, you know, we're, we're pushing it even further than, than it was at the time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought that that was just such a fun episode, um, yes. a fun two-parter, um, a good villain in Red Claw, um, really good banter between Batman and Catwoman and um, just really great, effective storytelling choices. So it was that was that one was a fun one to rewatch. I think that one was my favorite one to to watch again, even though the Laughing Fish is my favorite actual episode. Uh, I had a lot of fun rewatching those two episodes. They were I think they were all really fun, but yeah, the the Cat and the Claw they had it it was just like very quick moving and like it just felt like a good story. Um, were there any episodes like as you were looking through them that you were like, oh man, like I want to go back and watch this or any that you like remember more vividly than like these five? Yeah, well, there's actually another, there's another Catwoman episode I remember called Cat Scratch Fever. Mm-hmm. And that one is, um, I think the Red Claw might be in that one too, or her henchman. I can't remember what it is, but it's like some people are like, um, poisoning the city's cats and um catwoman's cat isis which is in this episode like gets infected and she's trying to like stop it from happening Mm. but she gets scratched and like batman has to like help her that's one that i that that sticks out to me and then also um joker's favor that's another one that's another good joker episode um where there's a random guy who gets road rage on the Gotham one of Gotham's freeways and the guy that he's you know he's um he gets mad at it ends up being the Joker um that's a good one 
um yeah there's there's a couple of good ones um what about you did you did you watch any other episodes besides the ones that that we've discussed um i did watch other episodes like i watched night of the ninja um and i there were other ones so the one with like the robots but uh like where jim gordon becomes a robot and like his daughter's like nope that's not him like i know that's not him um and how she kind of has a role brings her into it um but the episode that i like remember watching as a kid was the underdwellers episode um and i remember just like jamming me up as a kid where i was like oh my god this is terrifying like these people are just like living underground this is so scary like it was the scariest thing to me um then fast forward to last year when us came out and there are people living underground and that movie scared the living hell out of me it still does like i won't rewatch it but um yeah that was an episode that i was like i can't believe kids watched this and i mean even for these episodes that we just watched like with the laughing fish the joker putting someone like some he's just threatening someone's life casually he's like all right well i'll just feed you to my shark like what 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 kid needs to see that um or I guess um, Harley and Ivy doesn't have anything that's like super questionable other than like the abusive relationship. Um, And like the cat and the claw, it might set a bad precedent for like, oh yeah, like you're just trying to like save nature, but like you have to do it ethically. Um, You can't steal things. So all things that I feel like kids can like kind of wrap their head around a little bit more, but like, the Underdwellers episode. Jam me up. That's one that I need to rewatch because I, I know the episode that you're talking about, but that's one I might have I might have not seen that one since I was a kid. Um yeah, that one is I, I know what you're talking about, but I ha- I need to to watch that one again. Yeah. It just as I was like looking through the episodes where I was like, oh yeah, I like vaguely remember this one, that one like very much i'm like oh yes didn't love that one that one was scary um and i'm sure like i probably will rewatch it this weekend just to be like oh i wonder if it like is addressing like people being marginalized and all of this like i don't feel like there's really a lot of diversity on the animated series there is not that's correct like i don't think i went in watching it and i'm like yes i'm gonna see all of this visual diversity um but it would have been interesting to see how they address that also because like they're touching on like pretty serious themes so like how would they kind of navigate um race or just like otherness i guess would be The only thing that I can think of, honestly, and again, this is going back to Justice League. There's an episode of of Justice League with Green Lantern, and the Green Lantern in Justice League is John Stewart, who is like the Black Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where he's like he goes back to his old neighborhood, and like that's one of the only, and it's a really short part of the episode, but that's one of like he goes to the barber shop and he's like talking to his boys and. Um, there's like a 16 year old kid there getting his hair cut, like that type of thing. Like that's, you know, when it, it's short, but when those things happen, 
as yeah. a young black kid, you're like, oh, okay, you know, like you kind of latch on to that and you want to see more of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's um, Lucius Fox, I know, is in the animated series. Yeah. Um, there's an episode where Batman like needs his car fixed, actually. And like Lucius like does a bunch of like technological shit to his car because the penguin, I think the penguin like sabotages Batman's car and like Lucius Fox has to fix it or something like that. Um, I can't remember what episode that, uh, that is. But yeah, not a, not a lot of diversity in the animated series. So, but at it's, least they have women. Like I'm like, well, yeah. at least they have women only in like very strong. Like every single, I think when Bruce or Batman goes to like a laboratory, there's always a woman working in the lab and like isn't just like casually there. Like is a researcher, scientist, doctor, whatever. So it's small, but like it's good to have that. There is, so there's another episode. Um, there's a couple more episodes because I'm looking through the episodes right now that I remember um, that I'll talk about briefly. But one is The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's um, Doctor Strange, Doctor Hugo Strange. Um, not to be confused with Doctor Strange from Marvel. Um, Doctor Hugo Strange is, a, is, a, is like a supervillain. But he creates this machine that can read people's minds. And... Um, he hooks Bruce Wayne up to the machine and he realizes that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And so he um, holds it for ransom, basically. Like he gets, he like records the session that proves that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And he calls like two, he calls uh, Two-Face, the Joker and um, the Penguin. And he's going to sell Batman's secret identity to the highest bidder, basically. And Batman is able to like, re he's, he hooks up himself to the machine again and switches the tape. And he like thinks he records the machine. Imagine he like, he imagines that Dr. Strange is like talking about how he's going to pull off this heist. Like he, he, he plants an image of in his mind of Hugo Strange saying like, I'm about to rip off these three supervillains and they don't even know it. And like, that's the tape that plays. And so like, they like, that's how he gets out of it. Basically. I remember that. That's a good one. And then um, what was the other one? Almost Got Him. That's a really good one. Almost Got Him is an episode where it's a bunch of like the villains talking about the times that they almost (laughs) killed Batman. So that's a a really funny one. That's a really like um, that's a really fun watch. I might rewatch that one again. So those are two that I that I remember as well. There's so many good episodes. (laughs) Like, I'm looking at all the different ones, and I'm just like, oh, man, I can't wait to rewatch all the, like, Robin ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's good to, I, thinking back on it, I wish, I should have suggested we watch some more, some of the episodes that align more with the movies. Because there's, like, there's Robin episodes, like we we just did The Dark Knight Rises, where at the end it's like, you know, his name is revealed as Robin or whatever. There's Harvey Dent episodes, there's Two-Face episodes, um... There's episodes with Raz Al Ghul, yeah, um, that are really good too. So yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, check out Batman the Animated Series. It's phenomenal. Yes, you can watch it on the DC Universe website. They get there's a one week free trial, and then after that, you have to start paying seven dollars a month. But in one week, if you believe in yourself, you can make it through the sixty five plus episodes of Batman the Animated Series. If you believe in yourself, you can achieve it. 
Yeah, like, I have faith in you. Like, I will probably make it through a lot in the next couple days because um, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to (laughs) do? It's honestly worth it. Like, I I don't have DC Universe, but, like, I'm considering getting it just for this and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited because, like, I always, like, I love Marvel. Like, I love the MCU, and the MCU movies are, like, objectively way better than the DC movies, but, like, Marvel doesn't have anything as good as Justice League. And that's including, like, like Marvel had, like, the X-Men series, the X- X-Men animated series, and the Spider-Man animated series, which was great. Also, you know, both in the 90s you grew up on, but, like, none of those are as good as Batman the Animated Series or Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. Like, those, like, as far as animated TV shows about superheroes, like, those are the, that's the gold standard, in my opinion. Yeah, DC did a good job. I I don't know, like, I think they're are stories that do very well for DC. So like, while the dark Knight is great. Like I love the the trilogy. I think it's wonderful. Um, but like look going forward to when they did like the justice league and Batman versus Superman, whatever. I'm like, well, DC in recent years, like I, there's time for everything. Like in the nineties, all of the animated series were just like great. But, like, now DC does very well with their TV shows and, like, kind of bring all of it together in that way where Marvel didn't do as well. So I'm like, just, like, do what you're doing well instead of fumbling the bag in areas that, like, you can't seem to get it together. Um, people are still going to watch it. They'll still watch the content. <laughs> people want good content. Like, people yeah. want coherent, like, good, like, well-told stories, like we said, so... I mean, it's up to them to just, you know, and bring people in creatively who, um, you know, it's, it's bring people in creatively who, who care about the characters. And, you know, I'm not saying bring in someone who is just going to do like a bunch of fan service shit, but you just need people who care about the characters and know how to tell a coherent story. So, yeah, we'll I- get off our soapbox on that, but <laughs> that's how we feel. Do you have any other thoughts on Batman the Animated Series? Just again, please, if you're if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it in a while, you've never watched it, like go back and look because okay. it's really great. Really fun and just really great storytelling. Yeah. Very well done. Very fun. Um yeah. But next week we'll be back with a mailbag episode. So send your questions or topics. Um, to be discussed on you know the dark knight trilogy or even like the animated series if you're like you two didn't watch this episode you need to watch this episode um probably let us know that sooner rather than later exactly Um, (laughs) like if we find out if you like tweet at us saturday morning next week like (laughs) we're gonna be like sorry (laughs) like i might not have time for this um so yeah get ready to do that we're excited um i feel like the mailbag episode at least for harry potter it was fun one for like the twitter discussion but then it was just super fun doing the podcast and we got so many like got so much feedback that ended up being two episodes so i don't know if that'll happen this time it might there's a good chance um but yeah that was that was a lot of fun so we're looking forward to that again please send us your questions tweet at us let's have these fun conversations again um yeah and just Thank you, as always, for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. Um, We'll see you next week. Yep. Talk to you soon.